Thank you, John, for your words to us. I hope that you, um, those of you who listened, understood that he was basic on purpose. He demonstrating that those principles lived out in real life, in their lives, in a very difficult place, it's produced fruit. And we'll hear too. Um, whether or not people come to faith in our community will have to do whether or not we faithfully do those simple things and the things surrounding them in love. It, it will not have to do with how hard a place we live in. Does that make sense? I want to say before I read the scripture this morning, if you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Um, Manohar James will be preaching to us. He's our minister of multi-ethnic ministries. He also leads a ministry called um, Serving Alongside Here, but Redeem India in India. Um, he will be sharing some good news about his ability to travel there, I'm sure, this morning, which we're all on the staff very excited about after a long difficult, expensive, harrowing, prayer-filled, multi-year process to get to that point. Um, so I, I want to um, reiterate, uh, for more than eight years, Manohar did research for his PhD and um, studying religious conversion um, in India and specifically acts of Hindu government, the Hindu government to attempt to stop it, including different forms of repression and lying about um, the work of Christian missionaries in India. His book, um, Religious Conversion in India, um, is out. You can get a copy, 30% off, here through the church. Manohar is ordering a bunch at his author's discount. Um, it is a fairly scholarly book, um, but it is an introduction as to what's really going on that you will not hear um, on the news media anywhere in the world. Um, and the repressive system that is being built up under the Hindvatu government um, in India which is going to be difficult for us as Americans, looking for a very large ally in case China behaves in a way that displeases us. We would naturally look to India, but India is moving in a very difficult direction morally for us as well, especially towards Christian brothers and sisters. And so this book will outline a lot of the background for that that you will frankly not get anywhere else. That's why he had to do a PhD on it. So I really encourage you um, to get that and at least read. I told Manohar to tell us which 50 pages to read first. So he's going to get back with us on that as well. All right. So before he comes, let me—oh, lastly, I have selected a number of Sundays this year, and I think I will continue doing this, where our guest preachers, I'm just—it's pastor's choice. So whoever preaches, preaches on on whatever they want to. Does that make sense? And so this is the passage that Manohar will be preaching from. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God— so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you, will, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nick.
can't see people here. It's all lighting. Good morning, God's family. Good to see you all after a while. Before I get into the word, I really want to thank you for praying for our residence visa. God has heard and positively answered all of your prayers. Thank you so much. I love that. Secondly, I want to thank you for uh, touching lives in Ukraine, Dominican Republic, Spain, Africa, India, and many parts of the world through your generosity. And uh, your generosity is heard elsewhere, and people are getting saved because of your generosity. So I really wanted to thank you on behalf of Global Missions Team of High Point. Well, for the past few weeks, we have been learning what it means to be a human in the image of God. Last week, Pastor Nick talked about spiritual healing, and then he said, fall and curse have affected human capacity and caused spiritual weakness in us. And he also hinted how we are all prone to struggle to distinguish between the tricks of the devil in humankind and also the mental illness. So you struggle to distinguish between those two things. You know, Thomas Aquinas, who is a Catholic theologian, philosopher of the 13th century, once said, the world, the flesh, and the devil are the implacable enemies of the soul. In the West, we often talk about the danger of the worldly pleasures and the moral sins, and we seldom talk about the dangers that Satan brings behind the scenes. In the global south where I come from, we often come across people with demon possession, demonization, people affected by witchcraft, people affected by black magic, sorcery, and all sorts of satanic influences on them. We have to go back to God to get power from the Lord to deal with such of those demon-possessed people. I remember dealing with the demon-possessed student when I was teaching in a Bible school in India many years ago. We had a three-day fasting prayer for students at the beginning of the school year. In one of those meetings, when I was up on the stage worshiping with the worshiping team, the Lord turned my attention to one of the students sitting there. And he was no different from other students who were worshiping in spirit and speaking in tongues. But the Lord's Spirit began to tell me there is something wrong with the student. Every time I had glanced over him, the Spirit of God was moving my heart and I was so much disturbed in my deep, deepest of soul. So I pulled one of the servants of God aside and asked him, look at that young man. Do you find any difference in him? And then he said, well, I don't see any difference in him, but I sense the presence of evil in the room. 
As we were still talking, this young man was unusually filled with power, and he got out of his seat and went to other people who were speaking in tongues. He began to push them down to the ground, began to choke them one by one. There were about five powerful students, really strong students, came to hold him and calm him down, but he threw them out like sticks. That was the time the pastor and I rushed to the ground and we held him, and I literally held him like this, and I told him, Satan, do you know this young man does not belong to you? He belongs to Jesus. And he was with full of power, and then he, he looked at me, and he said, I haven't come on my own. This young man has invited me, so therefore I am here to take him back with me. You know, we literally had to have a discussion with the demon who was telling stories with some lies. Finally, after worship, after praying, after using our authority over this demon, demon left him and he became unconscious and fell down. These things happen in India all the time. And some of you are just breathing sigh of relief, thinking that you do not have such kind of demons in this country. <laughs> you know, C.S. Lewis mentions in his screw tape letters, you know, I wanted to use some of these scholars because some of you believe in scholars like C.S. Lewis and other people than Jesus. So I really wanted to use C.S. Lewis. <laughs> And in his screw-tape letters, he tells how Christians commit two equal and opposite errors in regard to Satan. The first group is to disbelieve in the existence of demons as if it is a folklore from the pre-scientific age or it happens only in non-Western world. Some of us get lost with out of sight, out of mind mentality because something we don't see, something we don't experience does not exist for us. You know, we are so much fed by the secular theories which attempt to explain evil as ignorance, lack of education, mental depression, emotional reaction, or some psychological hangover from the past. And we do not see how Satan is affecting souls and trying to destroy the purpose and plan of God in your life. And the second group of Christians, C.S. Lewis says, on the other side, believe so much in demons, showing unhealthy interest in them. They ascribe everything negative in their life to Satan. If they run out of gas on the way to church, they blame Satan. If they had a bad choice of restaurant after the church service, they blame Satan. <laughs> For every petty thing in their life, they go back to Satan, and in fact, they pronounce the name of Satan more than they pronounce the name of God. And there is a third category of people, somewhat like us, who believe in the existence of demons, but think that Satan has nothing to do with them because they are Christians. But the scripture says, the devil is real. 
And he knows his time is short. So he, get, he gets desperate day after day, trying to look for someone that he could devour. I want to make sure you are not the person in his claws all of a sudden. Whether you are in the east, whether you are in the west, Satan is real and he wants to chase after you and wanted to destroy the plan and purpose of God in your life. Think about what happened to Jesus in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. Jesus was tempted for 40 days and Satan comes and tempts him. And in verse 13, you read, the devil departed from him for a season. After tempting Jesus, devil departed from him for an opportune time. That means devil was not with, done with Jesus yet. He was still looking for some opportunities to get back to Jesus. That is what Satan is. He's not done with Jesus. Think about if Satan was after Jesus, the very son of God. You and I are nothing. We have nothing even to hold anything stronger against Satan. You know, our spiritual life is not Plato all the time. It is not exciting all the time. I know many people ignore spiritual warfare in their lives. And they try to run after the worldly solutions and choose alternate spiritual practices like yoga, voodoo, transcendental meditation, chanting, and so on, instead of turning to God, and they wreck their life of faith at the end. So I want us to understand the dynamics of spiritual warfare in our journey of faith, how we can face it and manage it. So first of all, I want to talk about what on earth is spiritual warfare. Many young people do not know what it is. So I really wanted to tell you that this is not a demon possession. It is actually your seasonal battle with spiritual forces of darkness. It is an invisible battle between you and Satan. Sometimes you may recognize, sometimes you may not recognize. Sometimes Satan tries to attempt some negative thoughts in you against God and his gospel. And when Nawazes are telling about the atheism in a different country, think about what Bible says about people. Satan blinds their eyes not to believe the gospel, not to see the light of the gospel. So sometimes Satan comes and tries to influence your mind against God. You think that you are trying to be brilliant, trying to explore more truth about God, but involuntarily you're running away from the truth because that is what Satan wants to do. That is the battle. Secondly, it is an inner battle to believe the lies of Satan over the truth of God. How many of us are silently getting deceived because of Satanic force behind us? When bad things happen in the world, when bad things happen in your family, you quickly think God is non-existent. Probably God is absent in that place where you need him most because 
Satan is there trying to prompt you to think that way. That's why when you fail to trust God, immediately you get into Satan's fold. And it is an inner battle to disregard the plan and purpose of God in your life. God wants you to succeed in your calling and be productive for his purposes. But Satan will entice you to take the opposite direction until you go too far from the Lord. That is what he wants you to do. How many times you struggle within you that you wanted to involve in the work of God, but you can never do that. That is not your problem. Satan is trying to give his power against the power of God to pull you down. But you have to recognize and go back to Jesus. Sometimes it is a struggle to distrust God. Distrust God. You don't trust when you need him the most. Sometimes Satan comes and tells you, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care for you. He does, but he tells, that is what the loud voice we hear rather than the silent work of God in your life. So if you are thinking, how can, you, how can I recognize the spiritual warfare in my life? How do I know if I'm going through spiritual warfare? Here are some of the symptoms if you're going through spiritual warfare. I really wanted to help you with this. First sign is prolonged fear, confusion, and disturbance, discouragement, this depression, defeat within your soul. That is, that is a sign of it. Second, you may occasionally experience panic attacks without any context. Last year, I went through plenty of them. Pastor Nick went through that. Voices went through that. We all go through, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are, you all have these moments when you have an opportunity to turn to God, but you sometimes ignore the spiritual warfare altogether. Sometimes you may have feelings of guilt and pain from the past. You entertain those things and continue to live in the past. That is the strategy of Satan to pull you down from the plan and purpose of God. Sometimes you may have spiritual dryness and lack of joy in your soul. Some of the tactics of Satan are spiritually oriented. Sometimes you may have feelings like, I'm not able to read Bible as much as I wanted to do. I'm not praying enough. Those feelings sometimes we think are good, sometimes you keep saying that for years, but you never change that. That is a spiritual warfare in your life. Sometimes you are asymptomatic. You know, sometimes you have invisible attacks in the middle of the night when you are sleeping, if it is not your wife or husband. <laughs> Some of you have experienced those. You know, something is sitting over your chest and somebody choking your mouth. I, I, I went through that. So these are the symptoms. You know, sometimes you are asymptomatic, I said, like, you have no symptoms, then you think, oh, I'm not going through spiritual warfare, I'm super spiritual. No, that's not true. You're simply asymptomatic, but certainly you have a war to fight. There are at least four doorways 
that Satan may use to sneak into your life to cause, to cause chaos in your life. At least four doorways. I want you to uh, notice this. <laughs> Why are you laughing? First one, Satan uses your uncontrolled emotions against yourself. Our uncontrolled anger, bitterness, pride are part of Satan's strategy. Sometimes you don't even know what you're doing when you get into that fall. That is a big doorway for Satan to come in and he will just knock you down. That's why Paul says to Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, be anger. Be anger and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Look at that. Anger is an emotion. Sometimes we, we, we make it scientific so much that, you know, yeah, yeah, anger, you know, we can control counseling and all. That's a doorway for Satan. You can control that going to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we think that anger is fine because of temperaments and all, but you can work on that. I used to be a very, you know, tempered boy when I was growing up, but I changed a lot. I still have some, but I'm still changing. I don't want to give an opportunity to devil to come and cause chaos in my own life. And second, self-centered relationships in marriage and family. This is another great and biggest door for Satan to come and destroy the families. That is what is happening in the West. Families are breaking down. Why? Because we have become self-centered. That is what Satan is trying to cause in us. That's what Paul tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. That husband and wife should fulfill each other's needs in their relationship, not giving an opportunity to Satan. We don't want Satan to come and be a judge between us. He's a bad judge. And in similar manner, Paul talks to parents and children how they can become a doorway to Satan if they do not control themselves. And he talks to a disobedient child. And he talks to an impatient parent. One disobedient child is enough in a family to cause chaos. That is how Satan tries to work in your family. Or if you are an impatient parent, that is enough to even destroy your marriage and even separate your children from you. Think about that. Self-centeredness, that is not the way gospel teaches. Jesus is self-giving. He went onto the cross, giving everything for you and me. That's why when we talk about marriage, we always compare it with church and our Lord. But today, our marriage has not become a covenant, it has become a contract. When you fight with your husband, when you fight with your wife, the first thing comes to your mind is, is divorce a solution? Who gives that thought to you? Satan, because he wants to separate you. Second, third, 
our superiority behavior in the public, public space or in your workspace. You know, our relationship with others matters to God as much as it matters to Satan. You know, sometimes we experience that superiority mentality when we look at people who are less skilled than us, who are not up to us in strength or in culture, and then we try to show bossiness. That's why after talking about disobedient child and impatient parent and uh, a boss who will exercise superiority, and then immediately he tells that you are not fighting with flesh and blood, but you are fighting with the spiritual forces in heaven. Sometimes we have spiritual challenges as well. And these are sometimes, you know, you, you read the Bible, you're not happy with that. What do you do? You buy another version of the Bible. You have so many versions here, right? KJV, NKJV, RSV, NIV, HIV. No, you don't. <laughs> I don't know. You have so many Bibles. I have only one Bible in my language. I have no other option. But what do you do? You buy Bibles and commentaries after commentaries. You try to look for alternative ways to go back to God. And even sometimes you try to find alternative spiritual practices from other religions. You think that they, those things will help you. I know a scholar who says it is Buddhism that makes him a better Christian. I know another scholar who said it is Hinduism that makes me a better Christian. You don't need to get into other spiritual practices in order to strengthen your faith. It is the Satan's plan to grab you out of God's hand. Think about what Daniel has done when he was taken to a pagan Babylon. And he was given a pagan name. He never, he never gave himself to any of the schemes of Satan. He shut all the doors for devil to come in into his soul and destroy him. And he said, even I will not touch the food that was given to king. What a determination that he had. And Satan couldn't even touch Daniel. So we have to think about spiritual warfare seriously. And how it affects our soul. How can you fight with the spiritual forces of darkness? You know, unfortunately, in Christian life, there is no withdrawal from spiritual warfare. You can't step away from the war. All that you have to do and you're called to do is fight, fight. And well, you are not left alone without the weapons that we found in the text we read today. Stand in the Lord's strength not in your strength. Think about that. Whenever you think of some spiritual warfare that is going on in your life, you have to think of what Paul said. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Why he's saying? He's saying that there is a possibility for you to quit. 
Because you go in your strength and you think your strength is not sufficient, all of a sudden you drop down and you think, oh, well, I can't fight. I can't fight. The reason you do that, because you go in your strength. But Paul says, stand firm in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why? Because the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We are fighting with divine weapons. You know, I heard that the powerful eagle which can carry five times of its weight with its claws has a strategy when, it, when, when the bird fights with its enemies. You know, it, you, you know, you have seen eagle, right? Eagle actually can carry a, a medium-sized goat and it carries to the heights. And I heard that when it takes a snake, tries to catch a snake and kill, the first thing it does is, the eagle does not fight with the snake on the ground. It takes the snake, goes high, and it confuses the snake enough, and then finally drops it on a rock or on a hard ground to kill, even before it goes and you know, do further harm. Why? Snake has no strength in the air. Snake does not know how to balance because that is the battleground only for the eagle, not for the snake. So the eagle changes the battleground in order to overpower on any powerful snake, even a medium-sized goat. First thing it does is it takes into its realm to fight against all that is impossible. That is what Paul is telling. You have to change your battleground. You should not fight on your own. Just take the strength of the Lord and fight from the strength of the Lord so you don't have to worry and there is no power that can conquer you because you're going in divine power and you are changing the battleground for your benefit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, Paul says, our fighting strength comes from the divine power, not from a theology, our knowledge of the word of God. It doesn't mean how many times you have read the Bible from cover to cover, but whether you are making that applicable in your soul is important. The reason we'll be victorious is because Jesus had already won the victory on the cross of Calvary against our enemy. So we don't have to lose the battle. Amen. Second, Paul tells you have to put on the full armor of God. This is very, very important. So we, each one of us is given a six-piece, rather seven-piece armor to wear against the schemes of the devil. The belt of truth with the breastplate of righteousness, with your feet fitted with the gospel, and then take up the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Paul repeats in the same chapter, 
Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Why is he saying? When you put on the full armor of God, when you are in the uniform, your perception changes. Your power changes. Your dynamic of behavior changes. That is what happens. You feel the preparedness, authority, confidence, and protection in your soul against any evil that Satan can come or bring it against you. Paul stresses full armor of God. Full, full, full. Why? Because we sometimes don't like all of it at once. We take some at a time, one at a time, and we move on in the spiritual battle, and then we think, oh, no, 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 no. No, it, it, it won't work. Because each piece of this armor works against your weakness in that area of spiritual warfare. You have to make sure you have all at once. That's why he emphasizes, put on the full armor of God. And fight with spiritual weapons that you are given. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil. Then what happens? The demon flees from you. Satan flees from you. You have to actively resist the devil. Just putting on the armor of God doesn't make any, any sense to you. It doesn't help you or it doesn't protect you enough unless you actively fight against the Satan's schemes. The first thing is sword, use of the sword. The sword we are given, the word of God we are given has a unique quality. There are three qualities that Hebrew chapter 4, 12 tells. It is quick active and what? Sharper than double-edged sword that you have seen anywhere in the movies. It is so powerful. That is what I, when I read that, like what? It is quick. What is quick? You have to use the strength, right? To use the sword. But the, the sword itself is quick. Whichever way you swing doesn't matter. It just goes and hits. It is powerful and sharper than double-edged sword. And that sword is given to us. In fact, even Jesus used the same sword in the wilderness. You remember that? The scripture works against the devil so well. But don't think that just memorizing will help you unless you take the authority and its power. That's why Paul tells in Timothy chapter 3, many people have the form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. You have to acknowledge the power that is embedded into this word of God. This is the sword. And my time is running. Probably that monitor should be removed in the second service. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and the other powerful weapon here is prayer and fasting. This is so important. It is the extreme powerful weapon against devil and his schemes. Jesus himself fasted and prayed and set an example for us. The early church had fasted and set an example for us. The worst part of the Western theologians is that they even changed the Bible according to their convenience. You know, you go to, okay, Matthew chapter 
17, you take your Bibles there, it is the NIV. Chapter 17, 14 to 20, you see disciples of Jesus could not cast out a demon there in that passage. And then Jesus casts out demon from that boy, young boy, and then disciples of Jesus come to Jesus and ask him, Jesus, why have we failed? In this, in this whole game. And then Jesus tells, you do not have enough faith. And then he adds something like, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That is verse 21. But you will not find it in your Bible. You will not find verse 21. Look at that. I'm, I didn't do any magic. It is not there. <laughs> they have removed that. The same thing is there in... Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 29, their fasting is removed. Unfortunately, the Western churches do not like to have some slots for fasting and prayer in their programs, but they certainly have feasting and prayer with much less time for the later. Feasting and prayer, but not fasting and prayer. You know, I want to tell you, there is no substitute for fasting and prayer, especially when you go through demonic attacks in your own life. You know what? You don't have to fight all alone by yourself. You can seek the help of a pastor, a deacon, or a spiritual mentor. They can fight together with you. You know, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Jesus had already won Satan on the cross of Calvary. There is no battle that you have to fight it hard. That's why John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So you don't have to be afraid. If you are going through any, any spiritual battle, and you need help, we are here to pray with you. Voices are here to pray with you. You can come here while worship is going on. We would like to lay hands and pray over you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for reminding us that we are in spiritual battle. Father, thank you for reminding us that we are not left out without the weapons to fight and survive and even be victorious against anything that is powerful in the world because the one who is in us is powerful than the one who is in the world. Father, give us confidence in you, in your word. God, help us to change our battleground and then go into your territory to fight against any evil that Satan tries to you know, push us into. God, just give us grace. Father, some of us are struggling with alternative ways. Father, I pray that you will give them clarity as they heard this message that they could come to you, come to your word, and command Satan to get out of them, to get out of their family, to get out of their mind, to get out of their life. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you gave to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.